Nation Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the Combination Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Let me read that again. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of a sinner. Cheap grace is, I'm going to do it my way. So I really don't want to deal with my sin, but because I'm the sinner. God wants your whole heart. Remember that? Not just part of it, not just some game that we play. He doesn't want you just feeling sorry about the sin. God wants you to know there is a way around the sin. Cheap grace means I don't want to rely on Jesus dying on the cross for me. I want to take care of it myself. I want to feel really bad about this for the rest of my life. That's not what Jesus wants for us. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't feel bad about the sin. Just don't get stuck in feeling bad about the sin. Use the knowledge of the truth that you have the remedy to the situation. If you're feeling bad about a sin, then use that as the springboard then to take you to where you need to go next. Again, Bonhoeffer says that offering forgiveness without requiring repentance is basically grace without the cross. So go back to where you first started. Two, three weeks ago. Right? We want to get immediately to the forgiveness. Right? Makes me feel good, makes you feel good. Let's do that. That's step two. And step two will never work unless step one is invoked first. If we offer forgiveness without requiring repentance, it is the same as offering grace without the cross. That's the equivalent. Because again, why did Jesus die? You're saying we don't need that. I'm a nice guy, I will just forgive you. The goal is to make the change in the sinner. See how it always comes back to sin? Forgiveness is offered, certainly. Forgiveness is offered by God and most definitely should be offered by all of us. Remember, Jesus says unless we're willing to forgive, we won't be forgiven ourselves. I'm not saying forgiveness isn't important. I'm just saying you've got to do it in the right order. We need to help that other person understand why this forgiveness is offered in an effort to lead this person to the truth. I just saw a communion service. Now communion is preparing for Jesus' death, right? My body broken for you, my blood shed for you, I'm going to die. On a cross, the pastor never said one word about why people need to receive communion. Oh, a little snack, let's just go up and have it, right? Nothing was ever mentioned about that. That's catastrophic in terms of you know, how people understand God. See, that's what I've been talking about for these two weeks now, is... These chapters are helping us to understand God. 
not how you want God to be, how God really is, so that we can understand who he is, and then we can say, oh, that makes sense. And if we don't like it, we have to understand that's what's going to happen anyway, so we might as well get on board. But people have to know what the truth is first. And before we can tell anybody else what the truth is, we ourselves have to know what the truth is. So this is incredibly valuable to us, that we don't get stuck in that, that, that fairy tale of salvation. It has to do with being a sinner needing to repent. And once we do that then, then we always make sure we're facing God. And we don't turn back around. But the good news is, if we do turn away from God, we can turn back again. That's the good news. God is patient and merciful. But God doesn't want us playing games. God doesn't want us you know, taking this, which is abundantly clear, and turning it into some politically correct salvation and forgiveness for others. Oh, God doesn't care about that sin. That's fine. Go ahead and keep doing it. That's what we want to say today, because we don't want to offend anybody. Sin is offensive to God. And God says, I will not allow sin to enter heaven. So we have to be forgiven of our sins, but we can only do that when we're smart enough to realize, I need to repent. And that's why David was a man after God's own heart. Because he kept walking away. <laughs> but he kept coming after him, right? Back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. That's what he did. Now, it wouldn't work for us to go on a little field trip. But what I would like to do with you is, picture in your mind's eye now, walking up to the outside door. John Wesley created this visual that I think is very helpful in our understanding of the need for repentance. You want to grow in faith. You want to be a person of faith. Faith is the metal electronic door up there. That only works half the time, apparently. <laughs> I'm working on it. All right, so the door of faith. You must enter the door of faith to receive salvation, right? Salvation is inside the building. But to get to the door of faith, you have to walk up the porch of repentance. You can't get in through that door any other way. Need image in it, right? Steps. You take the first step up on the porch and then you come through faith to salvation. There is no other way. Doesn't, doesn't say in the Old Testament, well, this was the old way of doing it, but now in the New Testament, that way is different. I'm a lot more easier. I'm the cool God now. God is exactly the same today as he was back then. And what he said back then is still the operational form that he's working with today. So what we're talking about is a, a genuine and sincere repentance. What we're going to see here is verse 4. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Asherahs and served the Lord only. Yay! They got it. 
Don't get too excited. <laughs> That's going to change again real quick, right? So it, it has to be a genuine and sincere. It's not just lip service. It's not just, just even saying the right thing or even doing the right thing for a short period of time. That's what they did. They did the right thing for a short period of time and then just reverted right back again to the way they were previously. I've come to discover that you immediately know that repentance is not sincere when a person uses the words like, I have sinned, comma, but. Right? You know that, don't you? That's a, it's a disingenuous apology, right? I'm really sorry I did that, but it was really your fault. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what you're saying. The but basically means disregard everything I just said, and now I'm going to tell you what's really on my mind. It's everything after the but that, that, that you listen to. That is not genuine. So as you're going to see King Saul do precisely that before too long. Oh, Lord, I'm really sorry. But. Right? Now, so we have that negative example, but then we're going to have a positive example as well. David with his affair with Bathsheba, is confronted with his sin, and he doesn't use the word but. His is a genuine repentance. So these Israelites now are showing some signs of genuine repentance. Repentance is simply, I was wrong, I wronged God and others. Put a period at the end of that sentence. Exercise your Miranda rights because everything you say will be used against you. It's short, it's sweet, it's to the point. We've talked a lot about repentance. What would you like to say about repentance? You pro repentance? <laughs> you against repentance? <laughs> uh, really, just. Thoughts, questions, comments? Let's dig a little deeper into, into repentance. <coughs> Guess you're all completely forward, huh? All right, so you hear what I'm saying now? I mean, we understand this. We are a group now that has this common understanding. It is our job to correct misunderstandings out there. And that might be with a family member at Thanksgiving dinner. Don't miss the opportunity. Who knows? Somebody at work? Some casual acquaintance you're just standing talking to. But if you listen carefully, you will hear people are all about forgiveness but don't want to change the behavior. I'm really sorry, but it really wasn't my fault. Some excuse will follow. They often blame it on their parents. Usually the mother. I don't know why, but you know she's, she, she's a fair target, right? So it kind of works that way. All right, well, anything else you think of about repentance, please bring it up because I really want to make sure we, we have a good handle on this. This is so, so foundational. Go ahead, Jimmers. 
we're doing a study of revelations with the young adult group, and it's amazing how many of those things we've studied so far yeah. are brought up constantly in the study of revelations. So yep. people still don't figure it out until the thousands of years later. Yep, it's still a complete and utter mystery when God made it so so clear. Andy, how many times did you point out repentance Friday night? At least three. Yep, yep. But again demonstrating God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you see? So the time doesn't matter. The culture does not matter. What matters is the consistency and faithfulness of God. And that will not change. Once we know that, now we can say, okay, I'm either going to accept that or reject it. Gary, an interesting thought of the day. Precisely. Unfortunately, well-intentioned Christians over pretty much this past generation, we need to take, take ownership of this. And why things are the way they are in this country now is because we, we have, as Bonhoeffer said, created a cheap grace. We've, we've made, we've made the, the, the church nothing more than, than a social club. We're, we're pretty much the same as, as the, the Elks or the Rotary or you know whatever, the Lions Club. Uh, we're just a bunch of nice people that get together and and are helpful in the community. That's that's all we are. No, no, we are people who insist on repentance so that we can all go to heaven. But we want to we want to cheapen it up big time because we don't want to offend anybody and and make rules and regulations that that they would not like. I've I've actually discovered that you know especially when it comes to church, people really do appreciate knowing what is expected. And any of you that have been through the membership class here over the last 14 years, uh, that's one of the things I do. We make it abundantly clear, this is, this is what we're about. This is what you're signing up for. You're not signing up to sit in a pew. Um, we'll find something for you to do. Pews are torn apart. Yeah, you're not sitting anyway these days. So, yeah, that's, you know, it's sitting sit, sit in lousy metal chairs. So, the, the Marquis de Sade models here. It, uh, that's right. There was two chairs sitting up on the stage that had cushions on them. <laughs> you notice I wasn't sitting in it very much, though. <laughs> total, total hour service. I was maybe four minutes in that chair. So, <laughs> no, just trying to trying to create something similar to what we're we're, we're used to seeing, at least. So. We noticed there were cushions on your chairs. Yes. <laughs> you, you want to borrow my cushion? Actually, it's not bad without a cushion. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an ergonomic chair. It's a chair Jesus would use. So, any other repentance thoughts? Good. I think an easy place to beat ourselves up is when we do repent and we go to someone to ask forgiveness and their reception of what you do is not received. And we, we tend to forget that that's not our responsibility. That is between them and God. But it's real easy to carry that burden on thinking that you have still not done what you needed to do. When yep. in fact you have between you, that person, and God. But sometimes it's not received that way. Yep. Well, well stated. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's the devil at work trying to convince us, well, that's still not right with this person. So if you've done what you can do, then precisely. It's, it's between that person and God. It's not between you and the other person. You you are you are justified in the eyes of God. Yep, you have done the right thing. Good, Riz. And you have to do that from the heart. Yes. You can't do it from the mind. Say, I've got to do this. It has to come from the heart, and then you will be able, I think, to 
Well, that's that, that's why that, that that term is used. You know, wholehearted. It, it, yes, it has to be. It's not a just an uh, an exercise we go through, or you just don't throw up the a formula of words. Yes, it has to be a, a heartfelt experience, and that's that's what God is really really looking for. But the heartfelt experience is what demonstrates our change. You see. Yeah, it's it, it, it it's it's a step in the in the process of really showing a genuine change in, in in a person in any of us. So again, I'll use the word humble. Now you you can't say I repent, but I am still going to be arrogant in in in, in my sin. <laughs> that doesn't sound right, does it? Right. So we humble ourselves and say I have wronged God and whoever else, and now I want to do what I can to make it right. But most especially, Lord, I want you to know where where my heart is in, in, in this matter. So I believe it does start with the head, though. The head is what, what tells you I need to I need to get my heart in the right place. I need to you know make 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 that transfer. And that's why I'm I'm saying it's it's it, it begins and is motivated by the intellect, not the emotion. Because the emotion is, you know, some people are really emotional, others are not, very stoic, and so that since that is all different, there's a wide spectrum of that, that can't possibly be the case. But knowledge is consistent. We all have, have the same opportunity to know the same stuff. And what we do with it then is what, 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 what God is looking for. Any other repenting thoughts? Go ahead, Karen. Yeah. <clears throat> my own repentance um, when I find myself doing the same thing mm -hmm. over and over again because I have a hard time feeling like I'm really repenting. Um, it's just something that I struggle with. I guess yeah. So she, she, she's saying, you know, the, the struggle is, which we all would agree with, is when you repent of something and two weeks later you wind up doing the same thing over again. That, that repeated sin and again the genuineness of the heart is what god's looking at um if you're doing it because you know you can get away with it <laughs> uh god knows the sincerity of your heart at that point and you won't get away with it in the end so yeah you see in the in the mercy and compassions of god he, he knows we're we're weak and we we do struggle with that so again the, the most important thing is the genuineness of the heart that I'm really, really trying to do this, God. And in so doing then, I, I think the important next step is that we, we ask for help. See, it's, it's, so God isn't insisting, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you alone and you figure this out on your own and when you are perfect, then, then come see me. Right? He says, no, I'm willing to be with you and I'm going to help you a lot if you let me. So maybe the greater wisdom is Knowing that that resource is available to us and relying on that resource, that, that strength and that wisdom that the, the, the Spirit does want to grant to us. And I think we will discover that we will we'll see a diminishing of whatever X, Y, and Z sins there are. Uh, but, yeah, we, we, we can't go about it thinking we can trick God. I mean, it says exactly in scripture you know no, no one can fool god i mean he, he knows he knows somebody hairs are on your head so i think he's 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 got the rest of you figured out too so um yeah we can't get away with anything with god so we just might as well come clean and 
and be done with it. But again, you know, when we get to, to uh, Nathan confronting David with his sin, that'll give us, I think, a really good formula on how we need to respond as well to see how David David does it. Good, Rose. Does anybody want to say yes to that? Or you want me to? <laughs> no, exactly. It's, I mean, it, it, we're all pretty much in the same boat at that point. I mean, that's, that's what it means to be human. So, yes, we... we well, exactly. We, we all struggle with that. So, but that's why you see... You, you know that now, right? I mean, you can see how that doesn't work. And so the beauty of it is you, the mind then says, okay, I don't want that consequence. And God is saying the only way to avoid that consequence is to repent, change your behavior, and you know, rid yourself of these other gods, and, and let's, let's work together on this. But yeah, that's, we, we all have a tendency to, to be that way. And that's really the story of the Old Testament. The beauty of it is, even to this day, the Jews are still God's people. As much as they've screwed up over the years, they're still God's people. See, so God covenanted with them way back when, and that's ir irrevocable. As bad as they get, God, God will, will not break that contract with them. And, but he makes the same contract with us as well. So, yeah, we have a lot of help available to us that we really do need to, to take advantage of. God, God is there to, to help us. Yeah, Jesus didn't. They made it clear he's 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 not, he's not here here to judge us and make us feel bad. I'm your friend. Let's let's work together on this. Isn't that what friends do? Yeah, let's work together to fix this. Because I don't I don't want you you know carrying that 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 guilt around for the rest of your life. Let's let's get it out of you. Anybody need to repent tonight? <laughs> Well, I think that's what Karen say is yeah. that's the struggle. No, yeah. We're not going to sin no more as we repent and die. <laughs> but then we're, we're going to sin. Yeah. But then we know that we can be forgiven again. So what's important to God is not how much we sin, it's how much we come asking for forgiveness. That we come repenting asking for forgiveness. So indeed, every day you should be sinless. So don't save up all your sins for a month and then ask for a blanket forgiveness of all of them. You won't remember all of them, right? So every day, the best case scenario is, and again, why David was a man after God's own heart, the second he sinned, now it was later in life, it took him a while to get, get the hang of this, but the second he sinned, he, yeah, I should have had a V8, and he realized that he sinned, I didn't mean to, Lord. I'm really sorry. Yeah, please forgive me. I'm I'm not going to do that again. I'm 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 turning turning back toward you. Obviously, I ran my own agenda there at that point. Feel really bad about it. I'm I'm back. Um, the sooner we catch ourselves, it should be a knee jerk reaction every time. Sin sin should be that obvious to us that that we realize I sinned. Whoops. Ask for forgiveness. Slate wiped clean. God remembers it no more. You move on till the next ten minutes when you do it again. Right. So it's not the frequency of the sin that's important to God. It's the frequency of us asking for the forgiveness, of us you know, coming to our senses, coming, or the Bible says, to come to our right mind. 
not right heart, right mind, uh -huh. right? So we use our intellect and say, ah, oh, I knew that was a sin. I shouldn't have done that. See, I, I, it's knowledge. I know I should not have done that. So when we do that, we, in fact, are sinless. The, the, the word I like better, and you'll, you'll find it fairly frequently in the, in the New Testament, is blameless. Not sinless. Blameless. Has a slightly different connotation to it. Meaning that, yeah, we are doing the right thing, therefore God will not blame us. So it's not saying we don't sin. It's saying that we're asking for forgiveness. Right? We're, we're following God's formula. And so in the, the end result then, we are blameless before God. We see that a lot in Revelation too. Those who are blameless. Not sinless. Because we're all going to sin. Obviously, you a lot more than me, but you know, we're, all, we're all going to sin. Just thought I'd throw that in. There's not enough time. So any other repentable thoughts? I was looking at verse 4 there whenever they were putting away their other gods. And I found it interesting that they that the wording was put away. It wasn't they dismantled them. They didn't melt them down. They, ah. they didn't destroy them. They just put them away. Didn't even sell them in a yard sale. Just yeah. uh, <laughs> put, put this in the drawer for now. Yeah. Or maybe the attic. Huh? But, yeah. but we know where it is. And I, I think that's a very good point because you know, we're going to see them switching back pretty, pretty, pretty quick here. Yeah. It's... It, it didn't take this time, is, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Good point. Verse 5. If you're willing to do this, then do it. The people do what they're told to do. Next thing that happened, verse 5, assemble all Israel at Mizpah. And I will intercede for the Lord for you. Right? So once God sees the turn, not even saying they're fully back yet. But you see, yeah, that's where the, the whole heart of the, the, the sincerity comes in. You know, once God sees that, he just gets all kinds of excited. <laughs> right? You know, they're 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 coming back. They're here they come. And he's he's ready and available and wanting to bring us back best story ever prodigal son now that's about God and us I don't know if you caught that or not but it's not about a father and his son and all that it's about God and any of us son goes away rejects everything in fact takes the inheritance and runs away and squanders it on loose living but then when the son realizes the error of his ways, remember what he says? I will return to my father. And the, the sign of his repentance, and he had this whole speech worked out in his head. You know, father, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Just make, make me as, as one, one of your slaves in, in the home. Which for him was a better deal than what he was doing, you know, eating pig food, right? So 
that seemed like a step up for him. And so, head hung low, coming over the hill. Best part of the whole story. Dad sitting on the porch, looking exactly in the same direction his son left, knowing he would return the same direction. Even better point. Father doesn't stay on the porch. He gets up and runs to his son. See, as soon as he sees him coming, as soon as there's evidence of you know, the turn, God is just running toward you to embrace you, to hold you, just love you, to oh, welcome back. That's what God will do for any of us. So when, when we're talking to an unbeliever about this faith, lead with that. <laughs> right? I mean, you, you, you got to talk about repentance, you got to, because repentance means sin, and that sounds terrible, but this God will forgive blanket policy everything you've ever done. You're just a newbie, so God's not going to make you write it all down and make a list out of it. You just have to say, Lord, I've screwed up my life. I've gone my own way. I have rejected you. I want to come back. God's off the porch like in the, in the cartoons and just, just the smoke cloud behind him just running toward you. It's incredible. But he's waiting for the turn. Start turning back. And here he goes. And that's what Samuel's doing in verse 5. You guys don't know how to do this? I do. You got rid of your, your, your idols? Well, at least to put them away. <laughs> yeah, we'll take that at this point. I mean, as bad as they were, that really is a big step for them. right? But I will intercede for you. You don't have to do anything. I'll go to God and I'll talk to him and I'll make sure God knows you guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. But you're, you're turning back. Now, do the geography. Mizpah is one of the towns in the tribe of Benjamin. Remember previously what happened in Benjamin? Remember the, the, the big rape slash kill? We think Benjamin would be the last place they would, <laughs> they would want to have this, this meeting. But again, showing the mercies of God, now let's go to the worst place. <laughs> let's go to the place that flat out was so obvious they rejected me. Let's go back there. And they do. Verse 6. Now, somewhere in repentance, if a person says, I repent, the magic formula you are listening for is, I, or if it's the nation, we have sinned against the Lord. It's not my sin against the Lord, but the devil made me do it. It's I have sinned against the Lord, period. That's the formula. A simple admission that we have gone against what the Lord has commanded. Now you see what Samuel does? Pouring out water? Kind of sounds pretty baptismally, doesn't it? So, I mean, they used that symbol back then. 
just the same as we, we use it today, a washing away of, of sin. Right? The water takes it, takes it away. They used a lot of water here. See that? Actually made a trough in the, in the ground and eroded a lot of water. Well, duh, a lot of sin. <laughs> a couple of drops ain't going to do it here, y'all. Right? We need a river. But they, they, they caught that, that symbolism. Now, verse 7. Remember how bad the Philistines are? Well, these guys are just rotten. They hear that the Israelites are assembling. Now, this is like a peace conference. <laughs> and Philistines say, oh, they will, they will be there unprotected and everything. Let's attack them then. These guys are bad. Well, knowing that that's the plan, they see the army coming at them. The Israelites don't know what to do. They cry out to God. Smart move. And asking Samuel to intercede for them. See, God, we're turning. You, know, you promised to help. There's a good opportunity, Lord. Will you take it? But do you see the order of things? The people have just barely begun to repent. They said, we have sinned against the Lord. Next thing that happens, battle Philistines. Sorry. Show up. Right? Just, I'll wait. So, all they had to say was, we have sinned against the Lord. And the next second, God is ready to work. Now again, in our understanding of God, you need to understand this fact about God. That God isn't going to say, well, you need to repent. And then when you say, Lord, I've, I've sinned against you, God's not going to say, well, that's a good start, but there needs to be more. And you know, then give you this long list of stuff else you've got to do. Right? That's all he wants to hear. I have sinned against the Lord. Done. Boy, does he knock those Philistines for a loop. <laughs> Ooh. Right? Right? <laughs> Peggy's so slow, i got to help her out. <laughs> now, do you see the power of repentance? Do you see that there is no other way? So this is so beneficial to us. We don't have to devise something. We don't have to, you know, in committees, to, you know, figure out what, what does God want. It's right there. That's what he wants. Do that. And we're done. Look at the results here. Previously, they entered into two battles with the Philistines. They didn't, didn't go well because they didn't consult God. The you know, second time they picked God up and forced him to go into battle. God said, well, I'm not playing this game, right? Let him get defeated. Let himself get captured the whole nine yards. Same people, same war. Everything else is the same. The only thing different is the Israelites have repented. Look at the different outcome. Did the Israelites do anything to defeat the Philistines? Right. 
God scared the bejesus out of them. <laughs> and they go running off into the woods like madmen. And the Israelites say, oh, there's some easy pickings. Let's go wipe them out. And they do. But it, the Israelites did nothing to put that fear in the Philistines. They panic and run. And the Israelites chase them and kill them, verse 10. I think finally, by verse 12, the Philistines have finally learned the lesson, do not invade Israel again. <laughs> I think maybe they're finally getting it. So Samuel names a large rock Ebenezer, meaning, thus far has the Lord helped us. Or literally, in Hebrew, stone of help. Now, this isn't meant to be a trick question, but I think you need to understand this. Why does Samuel use a stone as a symbol of God's faithfulness? It will always be there. Yeah. Kind of hard to erode away a hard stone. It's going to be there for many, many generations to come. It'll be there for thousands of years. And the hope is that a strategically placed stone, by the way, the old altars they built back in the day, Abraham and all the rest of them, were stone altars. So as you're walking along and you see a bunch of piled up stones, and you have the hand of a child, the hope is that child will look at you and say, why are those stones that way? And you get to tell the story. You get to pass it on to the next generation. That's why stones are used. They keep, keep sparking some, some interest in why God continues to do what God is doing. Now, I kind of think we've done the same. We've always done the same. Something you want the last, you make out of stone. What's a Washington Monument made out of? What's... What's a Jefferson Memorial made out of? What's a Lincoln Memorial made out of? What's Mount Rushmore made out of? Stone. Stuff that's going to be around for a long, long time. Now, this is really powerful. The Israelites are saying, even for all those years when they wanted to do nothing with God, they realized God was still helping them. In our hymnal, we have a song, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing. That's not a typeset in your computer, the font. In that song, verse 2 says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Hither by, they, by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. So, remembrance of the history about this, this stone and what it means and now transferring it, the last half, to personal. I wandered away from God, but there was Jesus to rescue me and bring me back by offering his precious blood for my sake. It's a pretty cool song. Just to show you something interesting, 
Go back a couple verses. Go back to 1 Samuel 4, verse 1. 4 1. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israel is camped at. So the, the location is Ebenezer. Still mean the same thing. God is our help. God didn't help much back then. Right? So now the stone is named to bring back that memory that we did it wrong then. We picked the right place, but with the wrong motivation. The wrong heart. Now we're trying to do it right and look at what God is doing. Scared them half to death. They go running off and they were easy picking. That's what God is willing to do. Chapter 7 now, the Lord wins a mighty battle and Samma commemorates the occasion by naming a stone Ebenezer. This is a new Ebenezer. A new time is upon them. But the only difference is that the Israelites repented. Everything else is the same. The location is the same. The people are the same. Everything's the same except the Israelites have been willing to repent. They lost those two first battles at the first Ebenezer because they didn't trust God, but instead they trusted false idols and their own ingenuity. But now desiring to repent, Israel doesn't even have to draw their swords to send the enemy running. Verse 15 points out the fact that Samuel not only serves as the nation's religious leader, but also as their principal judge. He's pretty much running the show. Because up to this point, he is the only one who is following God. That's the only difference. And there goes chapter 7. Told you it was a big one. Learned a lot about God in chapter 7. Last thoughts, questions, comments on chapter 7. Let's try chapter 8 for a minute here. When Samuel grew old, what? How did that happen? He was just a young guy here a couple minutes ago. No mention of getting married, no mention of having kids, no nothing. Now he's old. He's got kids. Bypassed all that. Apparently, it's not important. But now the surprising part. The sons, his two sons, are exactly like Eli's two sons. Wicked and evil. Rats. They, the sons... Do not walk in his ways. You know, Samuel showed them his whole life, faithfulness to God. The sons did. They must have taken after their mother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's no mention of her, right? One <laughs> of her name was Jezebel. <laughs> but that, that brings bring me to ask the question. Is it possible for an incredible man of faith to have two sons that reject God? Is that, is that conceivable? Okay, 
Yeah, oh, it could never happen to preacher's kids, but uh, we're immune from all this. Uh, but no, you see, that's that's the point. And I think you know, part of what, what we've been talking about here is, you know, if we're talking repentance, you know, a lot of that has to, to involve our kids. And not all of our kids are where we think they should be faith-wise. Even though we've yeah, done the best we can, we've shown them a good example, we've been helpful to them, we've done X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C, and all the rest, and we've done what we've done, and we can't do any more. It is possible for kids to choose something else. So again, factor God into that. With what we understand God now from chapter 7, you've got to bring that into that personal situation. Does God condemn Samuel like he did Eli? See, Eli was doing a bad job <laughs> as a father and as a religious leader. I mean, it's no wonder we're not surprised that his sons turned out rotten. But even in the best of circumstances, it is possible for children to grow up and reject God. But now the, the, the follow-up question is, how does that happen? How, how does a child do that? Yeah, what? They're not paying attention to the parents. Okay. They're, they're allowing more, more of the culture to dictate to them than, than, the, than the parents. Okay. How else does that happen? Okay, well, let, let, let's assume they, they have all the best teaching. Okay, if they're not disciplined, so if you just let kids go and do, even if you're showing them the best example, but not disciplining them when they go astray, that'll do it, right? So that, that, that does fall back on the parents. Um, how else does that happen? Good. I think that you teach by example and how you live, but it is still their individual choice. The same right. as it is our choice to follow God or not to follow God, you can instill all the best in them, but it ultimately is their choice. Yep. Um, and we're not to blame. Well, I, I believe if we are precisely life in the Word of God, we are not to blame. Hard to do as a parent. You say, "What did you do wrong?" Yep. But they have to make this choice. Yeah, you feel bad and you feel guilty about it, but yeah, right. what? What else could you do? I, I I think you're right on you're right on target. And but again, that's that's what the devil wants us to do. That yeah, this is this bad kid is all your fault. <laughs> no, especially when a child grows up and can make some adult decisions of their own. Uh, you'd like to follow what what Proverbs says. You know, train up a child in the way he should go, and he will return to it. Um, that happens, but obviously not always. So there's no there's no rhyme or reason to this. But it's, you know, you do the best you can with what you got and trust God with the rest. But it's amazing when it, when it does happen. But another good Bible study would be, take a look at the big guns. Abraham, David, uh, Solomon. Um, you look at a lot of those Old Testament characters that were uh, Jacob, um, you know, had lots of kids and all that. Adam, uh, just about every one of them, in terms of, of, of bringing children to faith, complete and utter failures. Go ahead, Dave. Hey, how about just the, the 
natural inclination towards rebelliousness. Yes. Part of you. Yes. That that has to come into play almost subconsciously when, when you're you. You. Teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. It's. They want to. It should come as no surprise when that happens. <laughs> and the fact that if you brought them up the right way, they'll get beyond that in most cases and return. Yes, precisely. So the, the the way the parent handles the rebellion is also critical. And and again, the prodigal son image I think is pretty applicable at that point. That uh, you know the father. I mean, technically, the, you can't get your inheritance until I'm dead. <laughs> but the son asked for it, and the father, okay, you, you don't know what you're asking for. It's going to be similar to how God the Father treats Israel when they ask for a king. God even told them, this is what you're asking for. And they said, sure. <laughs> you're going to hate every minute of this. and But, yep, yeah, that's what we want. So... People are allowed to make dumb, dumb decisions, I guess. Unfortunately, oftentimes the one dumb decision leads to another and another and another. Go ahead, Peggy. But it's kind of like um, asking if, if that's God and us, that's like asking God's blessing to turn away from him. Yes. And he's going to let us. But we won't be blessed, but he'll give his blessing for you to go. We're, we're, we're going to see that in chapter 8, yes. That's exactly what God does. And you know, he, he always does that. Again, he's the same yesterday he did tomorrow. So, you know, my my point is, I don't want us to be looking at this Old Testament stuff and thinking, well, that was thousands of years ago. That could never happen today, right? It's the exact same thing. And when we find ourselves in a similar situation and make the bad decision, the consequence for us will be exactly the same as it was for these people. However, God is still faithful and true, and will respond to our repentance just the same as he did to these people. Go ahead, Bill. Yes, it also takes a church family. Yeah. How many churches um, have maybe a program for kids but that's all it is. It's just a program on Sunday where that's why I comment I like the way the church here does with our kids here because I think they're not only is the parents helping, we're getting a lot of help from this church family. And it's good to, to call the church a family. Yeah. We, because the Bible calls us brothers and sisters. So yeah, we're 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 family. That's why we eat together. Because that's what family does. No, it's a very good point. You know, it, we, we, we need each other. You know, the worst thing that could happen is a child to be raised in isolation. That we're all here, and that's that's that, that's part of the baptism process as well that I drill into uh, young couples who want to have a child baptized is, you know. You, you, you have primary responsibility for this child, but please let us partner with you in the raising of this child, the nurturing of this child, the education of this child. We want to help you in many different ways. Bottom line is, you got responsibility for that, but know that the resource is available here. And we, want, we absolutely want to, want to help you with that. The more, the better. Yep. Well, there's a good place to stop for the night. We are now officially done. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 